It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HR, recruiters, and everyone who likes to help people in the world of business, including one actor. Jeremy, we're going to continue our discussion uh, today that we kind of started last week when we were talking about um, relationships, our, our respect in the office place. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> and we're going to continue today. We're going to talk about improving organizational culture through thought leadership. How did we get here? Yeah, this theme of thought, thought leadership has been a little bit of a challenge on the research end because it's, when you think about it, it's really, it's, it's a concept. It's one of those things that it's been a hard time. It's It's been difficult to find studies on it, especially studies related to certain things. I went into a, a certain library database that I have and I put in quotes, thought leadership and organizational culture. And one thing, which is very odd, one thing popped up. Uh, and then I went to Google Scholar and did it and... 3,000 articles popped up, and there's a differences in the how many databases, the types, and also how the, how it searches. But just to give you an example, but something I found that I thought was very relevant for today, it's an article by Kearns. It's called Leading Thought Leadership, a Practice-Oriented Framework um, in the International Leadership Journal. And that is something that you can find on Google Scholar as of today. And I'll be sharing, actually, I'm going to share with that with the entire group. I just sent an infographic with type, which I'm going to pull up and also the the reference. So I urge everyone just click on that link. It's a direct link that you can pull up the, the article. It's actually nestled in there amongst the other ones. So I think it's like page, I don't know, eight to 30. If you're looking for, you'll see the table of contents. And I thought, how can we best approach today? So I was looking through the article and I was able to pull some quotes and in the back, and we did some idea generation, and then coming up with some real, very relevant questions to ask. One of the, you know, when you look through this article, 
it's really interesting because it's a, a process that was actually created, a very a, a scientific process that can aid with thought leadership in the workplace. And I was looking through it. And I'm like, how does this exactly apply to today? And I came up with two different questions that we can come across. So one of the quotes is, leading thought leadership can lead to a competitive advantage. Again, we always talk about why are we here? By developing innovative or new ways of doing things, engaging the talents of an organization's workforce, increased organizational value, added wisdom, and an organizational culture of active learning and innovation. This is the desired culture of a thought leadership culture. So the question is, how do we talk about this today? Do we talk about it in terms of, are we trying to grow a thought leadership culture in the workplace, or are we using thought leadership to generally improve the organizational culture as a whole? And we can take it anywhere we want as we are going to anyway. No, we don't need my permission. We, that's, how we, that's how we do it here. So I'm going to pull up a, on that note, that got me thinking of a couple things. So I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to pull up something that the infographic that was shared. And these are some some questions to ask. In the, in the article, a lot of what was in there was to the effect of thought leadership is generally thought of through a, a, on an individual level. And this is where you see number three here. Oh, there it is. I'm going off of memory. I can sit here and read what's in front of me. Thought leadership is typically addressed at the leader individual level without considering the broader organizational context. And you can see the uh, the reference down below. We start to look at first, let's take an inventory of an organization's culture here up top in the purple. What are the components? And think about the, the general aura of the organization's culture. Because until we get a baseline, until we start to understand what is now, how can we really move forward? What are the dark spaces? What are the spaces of light? And then looking at, okay, how would, so you, you know, you as a thought leader working towards this, thinking about this, but what, how are other people seeing it? Because we have to make sure that what you are thinking is valid. How would other people describe it as well? And also this is, I think this is a pretty important question. This last bullet point here in the purple, who are considered the hypocrites of the organization's culture overall? And then also by department silo or organizational silo. There's a lot of questions here. And also, if you're pulling up the, the article that I, I posted the link for, there's a lot, a lot that we can discuss. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you, Tom. That's what I'm going to do right now. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Um, a couple of thoughts that, that hit me was when you were describing the organization, isn't this the type of organization that everyone's looking for? A thought leadership organization? Yeah. No. Ooh. Have I ever just given a flat out no? No. Probably maybe. Well, I'm not sure. You always have to leave room for a buffer zone. I'm going to say no. I have been, just through conversations, I I have been enlightened by certain types of organizations. I'm not going to call anyone out, but just in general types of organizations who don't want thought leadership, who don't want to get anything done. It's weird to say that, and it's weird having these conversations with individuals, but it's really, I've, I've heard of organization types that don't want rock stars, don't want to really get anything done, just want to maintain the status quo. What does that mean? Oh, it's another point for discussion, but there's my solid no for once, well, Tom, I gave you a solid no. Well, thank you for that. And, and, you know, thinking can be dangerous. It could lead to change and 
we wouldn't want that, would we now? Uh, <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. My thought on this is, you know, when you look at the title of what we're talking about, and, and that's improving organizational culture through thought leadership, in my opinion, there's a huge opportunity here to have leaders actually lead by example and create situations, specific meetings or, or whatever they want to do for the environment to create psychological safety through this process. You know, and improving a culture is having a key to improving culture is to have psychological safety. So if you could, as a leader, create a situation where you are inviting the conversation on thought leadership. And it doesn't need to be just a bunch of experts or people who are high up in the organization because part of thought leadership is offering different perspective. And junior team members often have a very different perspective and can really enlighten the rest of the organization through that perspective. So I think using thought leadership um, as a tool to create psychological safety within the organization can have a pretty large impact on the organizational culture. But those leaders are going to need some training or some sort of knowledge to go down that path, aren't they? Because I can see people going, yeah, I'm going to be a thought leader and it going horribly wrong. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess you could go horribly wrong. But I, I think if you're a person who, it depends on the type of leader that you are. But if <laughs> there's there's that. Um, but if you are honestly trying to, sincerely trying to just uh, have conversations about generating thoughts and, and really, you know, pushing the envelope on what does the future perspective look like and things like that, I think if, if you're um, pure in, in your intent, I think it can go pretty well. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Brendan, let's go to you. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are. I absolutely love organizational culture as a topic. This is actually why I got into IO psychology to begin with. I already wrote down multiple things already based on just the 11 minutes we've already been here. Um, so I come back to when we're talking about organizational culture, you're always going to have espoused and enacted values. So it's what you state on your board as important to you. Um, versus what really happens? And is there a misalignment between what you have stated versus what is actually enacted in the company? Um, I see plenty of that where it's a lot of companies when they go through this exercise of doing mission, vision, values, which is all tied to organizational culture, they'll put down certain values that are more aspirational. And I caution going with way too many aspirational values um, because you're going to have a lot of people who are extremely annoyed when it's, that's great, that's the value you want, but that is not what we're practicing at all. So um, that's very much thought leadership and leadership within itself of higher ups in the organization. Leadership wants this to be the value, but what are they actually doing to make it the value? And are they living by that value themselves? Because a lot of times they're not, and that's obviously going to cause a lot of conflict within the organization. Um, you also brought up something interesting that I made sure I wrote down was company culture versus maybe a division or a department culture. Those can also cause some conflict in organization where you might have one department in the organization that has their own culture that might be more aligned with the company culture um, and they're successful. And you might have another department that has a different culture that is not related to the company culture 
and they are also successful. So you might have a clash between those two different departments because they have two different cultures within themselves. And the last thing I just wanted to touch on for now is this idea of the task-oriented companies uh, that Jeremy had brought up. There are certain companies, business models that is going to be task-oriented. It's not going to be necessarily geared towards change or doing things differently. There are certain jobs where a task might always be done the same way. It's been done the same way for hundreds of years, and there is no reason to improve on that. But at the same time, Linda Ann brought up those leaders can still lead by example by doing the tasks so that everyone understands that it's a shared responsibility, not just the manager responsible, not just the direct, uh, you know, uh, entry level person responsible for it. We are all responsible for, and that's how you'll get everyone to buy into your culture um, if it is more of a task oriented company. Let me ask you, how do you deal with an executive who, when you use the phrase like lead by example, they go, wow, that's a lot of work. Um, do we have to hold their feet to the fire? Yes, because those are generally the ones It's do as I say, not as I do. And um, those are real fun to work with. Um, I believe Jeremy has called them cowards in the past. Uh, and I, I, I know you've used that word before. So, but it is a struggle because it's, them not wanting to change, but you want to change the organization. So it's everyone has to change, but me. Actually, the change probably has to start with you and then funnel its way down. Talk about your tough conversations. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. One of the things that's important to remember when we talk about organizational culture is that the vast majority of the influence comes from the top. So whether those at the top are engaged proactively in creating and supporting a certain culture within the organization, or whether they're just checked out and let things go wherever they may go, ultimately, they have a great deal of responsibility for that culture. But what we're looking at now is the idea of um, those influencers who don't necessarily have to be in leadership roles. So we are exploring the idea that an organization's culture can be influenced by other people that aren't necessarily in the top leadership roles, but have some kind of an influence on their peers and therefore on the organization. So I think this is a tremendous opportunity for the change that may be beneficial or flat out may be required for uh, an organization and its culture, because I think everybody here and everybody everybody listening could probably think of an example where a toxic culture just absolutely ruined so many different aspects of um, workplace, um, um, you know, uh, uh, environment or experience or gotten people to quit or whatever the case may be. So it's so important to recognize just how vital a proper culture for an organization is. And now that we're examining this other way of influencing culture, there's so much to be said there. Because if you look at organizations where we're not interested in thinking, we're not interesting, interested in new ideas, they're putting a stop to any kind of thought leadership that could potentially influence a culture before it even starts. So I think it goes back to what Brandon said, you know, when you're looking at leaders like that, that is difficult. And 
really they do need to be held responsible. How that's done and how effective it is, well, that'll depend on the situation and the individual. Some people just don't take kindly to change no matter what. No, they don't. Um, so, Jeremy, how, how do we enact the change? The first key in enacting change is unmuting your mic, which I failed to do initially. So, so that, that will be step one. I'll mention that the how do we enact it? Oftentimes, and we talk about this often, where do we start and how do we get some kind of a framework? And that's why it's so important to look towards, like, look what's what's out there. What's the research? Has somebody created a particular framework? And the beauty of what we do here is that we provide those. This is actually a practice-oriented framework. It, I'm going to quote here because it's really important about this article that I shared because this is what was created. It is, a, it is intended to provide leaders with a practice-oriented framework from which to view thought leadership as a resource to leverage and manage throughout an enterprise because we're talking about culture. This framework and perspective extends the concept of thought leadership beyond a focus on individual thought leaders by offering opportunity, it's getting long and dry, isn't it, for leaders to systematically look at thought leadership as a process. And this is where the culture comes in. This is why this is where it all comes together, at least for me. Systematically look at thought leadership as a process with linkages and alignments at all organizational levels. When you have linkages and alignments, there you're starting to get to the essence of an organization's culture. And also, how do you do it? Part of it is identifying who can be, who can start to be those change agents. And this is a good segue back to, I love what Brendan said, cowards is such a striking word. <laughs> but I, I think, I recall what, he, what he's talking about. Brendan, I think this is what it's from, is when you're working with people in an organization, usually you have difficult people, you have um, nice people, and then you have weak people. And the, the weak is the coward. The, the difficult people, those are, I often say, those are the best people to deal with because they'll, you know what they're thinking. You know exactly, you, you know, because they'll tell you, you know what, what makes them tick, you know what uh, does the opposite. The nice people are the ones that just generally go along. They're well-intended and they, they, they play their role perfectly. The weak people are the ones that will say yes to you and then talk about you behind your face, go, go about behind your back because they don't have the courage to speak up and to challenge in an effective way. But so that's important to be able to identify those people as well. I do want to, because there's so much here and we're talking about Tom, you asked a good question. I can't help but go, it's gonna be a little bit of an exhaustive list and I'll refer everyone back to this article, but it's so important because there are these phases. This is a practice-oriented framework. So. Just like somebody who's going to start creating a course for something, you have to have you know a starting place, an outline, a template. If you're writing a book, same kind of deal. You've got to have your topic areas. You have to know where you can start so you can start to dig your feet in. And these, these phases that are outlined by the author are identifying and assessing, acquiring information, analyzing, generating ideas, thoughts, and targeting topics promoting and opera operationalizing operationalizing organizing optimizing and executing sustaining standards and ensuring quality indexing and assessing outcomes and impacts and this is again this provides an outline and when you when you access the article i'm glad this one is up on 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 the on live on the internet so everyone can access it because some sometimes they're paid you can't access them 
but in these phases, there's descriptions, which I won't get into. There's tables about how to actually do this. So, well, I'll get into it a little bit. Promoting and oper operationalizing. That consists of persuasively promoting key thoughts and ideas to stakeholders and resource providers. And there's five other great ideas and how to start. So you can take all of those, start to make them check boxes. You can start, you can take each one, who's involved, how, how important is this? How hard will this be? Who will help? Uh, and, and so forth. These great self-check questions that you can just provide to start to create this type of system to start to operate, oper, op, <laughs> this is going to be tough, Tom. I think I've said it seven times to operationalize the, this particular framework. I also want to share some of the challenges that were discussed in this article. Why? Because it's good to start thinking about the challenges that you're going to come across, especially if you're thinking, how are we going to use thought leadership to better the culture of the organization? Or how are we going to create a culture of thought leadership? And some of these challenges are uh, establishing clarity and credibility of direction, managing resources, managing alignments, developing practitioner-friendly frameworks, uh, managing behavioral diversity, defining and measuring wisdom. And that's, that's just a couple of them. And I want to lastly share this. This is another table. And th there's a table here. It's table one. I think it's on page. It's on, uh, I don't know what page it's on. If you're following along, it's after page 12. I can tell you that Beha it shows behavioral skill and then the corresponding definitions and observations. And why does this matter? Because if you're going to be appreciating wisdom and using that and focusing on that in the workplace to create desirable outcomes, there's some behavioral skills that must be attained, like high impact communication, decisive problem solving, self-awareness and situ self-awareness and situational awareness, and managing and negotiating conflict. And there's some others that are there. So again, I'll fall back to Tom, to answer your original question, how do we do it? We, we, we help ourselves by finding what is out there, what has been studied, what has been researched, and is there some type of framework that we can latch on to? We don't necessarily have to stick to that. You can make it speak to your own organizational objectives, your business goals, your identity, and also what's feasible. Because let's face it, for smaller organizations, this can get a little bitey for family-owned organizations with different a different type of organizational politics, different types of governance. This can get a little bitey. Tom, over to you. Well, this sounds great, but you know, if I'm a leader, chances are I'm I'm going. Yes, I I want this. This is the culture I want to establish in my organization. But this sounds like a lot of work. So, where do I go to get the help to take my organization through this transition? There, there's a school of thought out there, Tom, that says hiring an industrial organizational psychologist might be the way to go. Because again, one of the oldest professions out there, not many people know about it. Um, just for those who are new listening, watching the, the video channel or the podcast, starting in 2012, the Bureau of Labor Statistics slated IO psychology to be the number one job until number one fastest growing job until the year 2022. Now I think we have the same growth rate as HR, which is something about it's around 9%. And we're we've now been uh, uh, designated as a STEM science by the government. And 
there was a recent Forbes article um, about just this total increase in everything that's helping organizations and how I, a psychologist, can really help with that. And it's okay to try it on on your own. It's okay. It's perfectly okay. It's also okay to have that mindset of which I can't remember which consultant said it, but organizations always have the time, never have the time and money to do it right the first time, but they always have the time and money to do it again, something like that. But get in touch with with an IO. We are great thought and strategic partners, Tom. You should really have a take an IO to lunch day. What's taken into account? You know, an organization is in many ways, it's almost kind of like the United States. You know, we have, the United States has a culture. And within that, there are lots of other cultures, you know, based on authenticity and immigration and, you know, area of the, of the country and all that kind of stuff. Well, the same can be said within an organization. If you have a large enough organization, you could have a dozen different subcultures in there. I mean, the the if, if you're in an industrial setting, the culture of the, the people on the shop floor is going to be different than the ones in the C-suite, which is, again, going to be different than the people in accounting. Because you have you have different interests, you have different education, you have different backgrounds, you have all these different things that are going to contribute to that. And so when you're considering an organizational culture, you have to consider all those subcultures and how to make them work together. Not so much necessarily to try to bend them to your will or anything like that, but to, to work in a, a, um, a complementary way. <clears throat> and, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, uh, lead by example, you know, that is sometimes difficult in some organizations because you you take so you take the CEO and does he really know how to run a machine press? Sometimes yes, often no. But that doesn't mean that the CEO can't come down and talk to the machine press operator and say, hey, how are you? So and communication is going to be key there. And you know, and something that uh, I think it was Dr. Uh, maybe Dr. Martha mentioned this earlier about people who are just always going to resist change. Uh, I worked on a project once bringing in a new computer system for route sales, and we had a guy retire, just straight up. I'm not doing it. I'm retiring. So you have to, to there, there are going to be those people. And you have to kind of consider that, that is there a way to bring in the change that is not going to rock the boat so much that all of those people are going to fall overboard? Because depending on, you know, the length of time your, your company's been around, some of those people may have been there for a while. They may be holding a lot of institutional knowledge. And if they go, uh, heck with this, I'm out. If you haven't considered that, you may be losing a lot of your institutional knowledge. So you got to make sure that communication is going on there. And of course, with so many things, this, this all comes down to communication. And in thought leadership, you got to be careful with using that term because as, as we've discussed, you know, it's kind of a buzzword. It's kind of popular. And a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear it. And so if you go into your company and go, we're going to be a thought leadership company, and then have people go, oh, here we go. You can cultivate thought leadership without actually saying the words thought leadership so that you can you listen to your people, you encourage the ideas, uh, you discuss what they come up with, whether or not it's viable, doesn't matter, discuss it anyway, and make people feel heard, enhance the psychological safety and the, the comfort level of being able to, to have that conversation. And you can become a thought leadership-based organization without ever using the word. Well, and you mentioned communication as well, Lee. And, and isn't it like for so much of what we talk about, if you want to implement anything, you've got to make sure that communication piece is already up and running well. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that, Tom. 
because I don't know where you would have anything to do with communication. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is probably the most important thing in, in no matter what you're doing, because the best idea is great, but if nobody ever hears it, you know, does it even matter? You know, does it actually exist if it's never put out into the world? You know, it's kind of like the tree in the forest. You know, if you have a great idea, but no one hears it, did you really have a great idea? Yeah, that communication is key. It's often said the best performances are given in. I think that there's a lot of truth in that. And um, build on something that, that Lee said when he talked about the CEO going down to the drill press operator and having a conversation. Not only is that important, but I think it's one of the things that's really important in that communication process is to indicate that you value the skill set they have just as much as anybody else's skill set. You know, in fact, I just before this, I got off the telephone with somebody and she was struggling with some computer things and I but I can't do what she does. And so to continually communicate that you value that differential between skill sets, and that's what makes the company work um, so that it kind of levels the playing field a little bit and know that you're, you're truly valued. So that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing, if, if I were to say to anybody who's aspiring to be a leader or is working at being a leader, I think one of the most absolute important uh, skill sets to have is to exhibit courage and to have the courage to not only say do the thought leadership process to become to stick with it long enough to become good at the thought leadership process to not give up on it to invest your time to play the long game and give it that three-year process, that three-year time frame to actually take hold um, and become part of the, the mindset and general conversational tone of the organization. You can't, there's so many things that companies aspire to, but they don't give it enough time to take root. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it, We live in a world of quick fixes, um, <laughs> and we've got to move on to that. Maria, let's go to you. I, referring to the infographic that um, Jeremy shared, uh, you know, I the one thing that I thought about was the um, who's, who are considered the hypocrites um, or in the organization or the silos. And, and I think we have to be really careful because I believe that people are well-intended when they get up and go to work for the most part. Um, and some of those hypocrites are probably in leadership positions and don't know and don't have self-awareness. How do we get that self-awareness um, to you know, come up without alienating, offending, uh, possibly one putting their job at risk? Um, but I think it's really important um, that things are put in place, potentially by HR or the C-suite, if you will, um, so that people can receive the feedback in a way that's healthy, but also with proactive um, suggestions for how that person can change their relationships in the organization or in their silos. Yeah, you can't um, get change to occur if they show you the door. Uh, so Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you on that. That's vitally important, Maria. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I am going to combine my thoughts with the graphic. 
Part of what I'm thinking in response to that, when you look at number three here on the second bullet point, who do you trust? Who do you not trust? To me, that plays in well, and it's also adjacent directly. So there's some symmetry there to that other question about the hypocrites. Typically, if there's hypocrites in the organization who are, hey, this is our culture, but they're not living through the culture, that, you know, it's a decent chance that might be someone you don't trust. So the following question is, how can you work with both groups to build and maintain trust based on their own self-interests? And we talk about this a lot, and it seems, it almost feels icky in a way, like what's in it for them, what's in it for them? But until we figure out what's in it for them, what are their own self-interests, what are their perspectives, what are their fears, what are their wants, what are, it, it, until we can do that, we're, it's gonna be very difficult to make a connection. So how do you do that? The effective communication is is vitally important, but that also takes courage. That also takes a certain skill set. It's not a bad idea to have, you know, to to offer coaching, organization wide coaching for if for executives, for the leaders that are going to be running these processes, to have an individual coach. Kind of a shameless plug here, but if you're looking for that, we we have that. <laughs> Go to the website, look at Seabock for Businesses. We have some great coaches for that. Anybody, any, any, I mean, there's tons of, tons of great coaching programs out there, tons of, of great coaching platforms out there. So find one that, that speaks to you, but that's also not a, not a bad idea. If you're in a decision-making uh, situation, situation in your organization, it's not a bad idea to suggest that. And if that's not feasible, it goes back to how can you work on those? It's in, I mean, it's in the article that we're looking at today, being able to be persuasive, being able to get buy-in, being able to look at the, the perspectives of, of the other people, because there's a way that you've got to, you do, because you have to, and this goes down to the last bullet point here, number three, directly related to Maria's question, how much of your political capital are you willing to spend? If you're going to talk to it, someone who might be a hypocrite and you know be a little bit of a mirror for them so they they can see how their behaviors and their actions aren't matching their their words in particular no matter how you frame it there's a good chance you might lose some political capital so it's a good idea to start to really dive into some of these questions thoughtfully i'll make sure this infographic gets up on the as a free resource on cbock if you go to if you're listening to the podcast, if you go to cbock.com slash uh if you go to cbock.com, click on resources shop, it'll be a free download. It'll be called Improving Organizational Through Thought Leadership. Tom, I'm gonna turn it back over to you. And in a in a in a short while, I do want to read off some more of these bullet points for those who are listening after the fact on the podcast and cannot see what we see. And I think we should mention, especially in a time of change, that it's the early adapters who usually succeed. So, you know, take the opportunity, reach out and connect with someone who can really provide you some help. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. You know, as I listen to our conversation, I think to myself, every week we tackle a topic and every week I am thoroughly impressed with the ideas and the input that is presented here. And I have to say that this week so far, I am thoroughly wowed by Lee's input. The idea that sometimes we get uh, caught up by sparkle. So there's this new catchphrase of thought leadership and everybody's buzzing about it, maybe watering it down to some degree. But what does it really mean if not 
walking the walk and talking the talk and doing the whole thing. And you don't have to necessarily be in a leadership position. So that really stuck out for me when Lee brought that up, because so often that's, that's what happens. Organizations jump from one thing to the next, because that's the latest thing that somebody brings up or that they saw an article on, or that was on the news. And then going back to what Linda Ann said, they never give it enough time to really prove itself as something that may or may not work for them. So once again, I just really enjoy these conversations because the amount of wisdom and great ideas that are presented here is priceless, absolutely priceless. Another reason to get an IO into your organization, just saying. I think you're absolutely right. And the value of this podcast and the way that it is growing in popularity, I think, speaks well to that. Brendan, let's go to you. So I think something that um, Dr. Martha had brought up, and then I know Linda and I have talked about this before, and I know I saw it in one of these either graphs or articles, and I believe the term they used was cultural ambassador. Um, a lot of companies like to use the, the term culture champion. Uh, it's something that you build into your organization through the onboarding process. It does not have to be a leader. It could be the most entry-level person in the organization, but they uphold and they are the champion of, of the culture of the organization. And they're one of the people that, from an organizational development perspective, as well as through the onboarding cycle, you're going to want them to sit down with a new employee, make sure their, their questions are answered. This is the way we do things here, not necessarily like they get a lot during on-the-job training. This is the way you're supposed to do it, but this is the way I do it. Um, so you, you want that culture champion to really be that person that is following in the footsteps that you want everyone to follow towards success. Yeah, I agree 100%. Amanda, let's go to you next. And Dr. Jeremy, let's go back to you for some more of that information. Dr. Martha ended up making a statement that I think just needs to be brought up to help reset some leaders' expectations as it relates to time. There's often the assumption that culture, climate might change swiftly. It takes at least a year to 18 months to see any real definite adjustments occur. Um, I was working with a small team where they have been working on a project now for about a year. We're going on 18 months, and now they're really starting to see the dividends pay off and seeing stuff shift. But it takes time. The There is so much in, especially in corporate America, where there is the need to get an immediate turnaround for your investment. But that doesn't happen with culture. That will not ever happen with culture. If you drop it, it then just becomes another one of those hot topics that become a flavor of the month that come and go. Culture is something that is needs to have a sustainable portion and change that is not touched as a hot topic. Um, it's so if you're going in looking for culture change, don't expect to see anything immediately. You need to put the work in to see the dividends pay off. And if you start seeing something in 12 months, then you know what? You're getting a fast turnaround. 18 to two, 18 months to two years, that's when you will really start seeing stuff shift. But it just it just cannot happen as fast as some folks want it. 
Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, actually, Linda, Ann, let's go to you. I have a time frame that I've used, and it's served me my entire career, and that's a three-year time frame. And when, whether it's going into a new job, starting a new initiative, taking on a new whatever, it's a three-year framework. And that framework is the first year you're just figuring out the lay of the land. You're just doing assessment, figuring out what needs change, how you fit in, all of those kinds of things. The second year, you start to make the changes that you feel need to happen to make progress. And as you, as you initiate those changes, and then on the third year, you look back and you start to do the polish. But it's only after three years for most things, when you're involved in business or career and all those kinds of things, where you can really look back and say, yeah, we made it. I think that's a really good road path for all new employees, you know, is to, to get them into that mindset of, three years you know here's where you are today and here's where we want you to be in three years uh, dr jeremy let's go back to you for some more of your research yes and before that linda and <clears throat> that's that's amazing and to people that say three years wow that's a long time it's usually the response to that is sometimes okay well would you rather in three years saying that you want to start this and that you wish you would have done it or would you rather in three years say we're here so there's just, again, it's all perspective. And that communication, uh, you you just said this, Tom, the communication, communicating to everyone, hey, this isn't going to be immediate. This is going to take some time. It reminds me, and as I always do, I'm going to get some of the details messed up because it's been a long time since I read this study. There were, they did a, uh, there was a study of troops, I don't know, maybe the army, maybe the Marines. They did a study that three different groups and they were to run, they were to do, they were to um, rock like, I don't know, let's just call it 10 miles. And one group, they just said, all right, you're going to start and you're going to stop when we tell you to stop. The other group, they said, we're, we're going to do, we're going to rock 10 miles and that's it. And then the other group said, we're going to rock 10 miles. And then periodically along the way, we're going to update you on the progress. The group that they said, you're going to rock 10 miles and then we're going to update you on the progress. And they did that. That group highly outperformed pace, stamina, everything during that particular 10 miles. So that is vital. And you can make that parallel pretty easily to organizations in terms of the communication and, and updating along the way. And again, why do we look at, at studies? Because this helps. Because this provides guidelines in terms of, all right, how should we, organizational communication, one-on-one. How should we, should we communicate this? And how often, you know, should we update them? You know, you can take from this particular study and draw that parallel. If it makes sense to yes, tell your employees, make sure they know that this type of thing is going to take some time. So well done. Thanks, Linda Ann, for sharing that. I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to go back to Tom. Are you able to see my screen? I am. Super duper. Number one. So what's in purple up top? I mentioned a couple of these in the beginning, so I was going to not mention them again, but they tie directly into number two. So I'm going to I'm going to mention them. For those of you who can see this, forgive me, there will be people that are listening, but I'm going to read through pretty systematically. But taking an individual an inventory of organization's culture, think about what that what that means, and think about why you want to want to do that. Because again, we need a starting point, starting place. Going back to Tom's original question of how do you start to do this. How do you even start to think of a process? Well, here is a little bit of pre-work. 
What's your organization's culture like now? What are the components? What is the feel? What is the aura of your organization? The dark spaces, the spaces of light, how do the silos different in the description of the organization's culture, whether it be different departments or whether it be different levels within the organization? And again, that important question, because we have to say the tough things, who are considered the, the hypocrites of the organization's culture overall, and also by department or by level? Then it's important to think back. What's the history? Looking at history helps us understand how long have we been like this? What has been stagnant? What has been changed for the better? What has changed for the worse? What mistakes should we look at that we don't want to make again? And what are the non-negotiables for going forward? So think back 20 years, 10 years, five years ago, and think this is your perspective, but how are other people are going to ask these same questions? Because it's through those different observers in the organization. That's how you start to understand and determine the true nature of your organization's culture. Much like our own reputation, our reputation isn't what we think it is. Our reputation is what other people think it is. So down to now we have, for, for those of you watching the podcast, imagine this, picture this, a beautiful PDF lengthwise sitting right in front of you. We just went over this beautiful purple block, and now we're going to go over this beautiful, uh, uh, what color? Is this a teal green, Tom? I like to call it mint. Ooh, it is a it is a uh, spanking mint green uh, in the bottom left hand corner. It reads: Now review the previous question specifically with a forward thinking mindset. Forward thinking is in all caps. A lot of people think that all caps is yelling. This is yelling. Forward thinking mindset for those previous questions. What is different, and how does a forward thinking mindset with those particular questions? change what's known and also what needs to happen. And the key here is if, if you're having a difficult time seeing any differences, challenge the intensity of your thinking. You get some, uh, what was it, Collins and Poor's, I think, the uh, BHAGs, the big, hairy, audacious goals with Boeing. Think audaciously, think forward, think big, think improbable in terms of your forward-thinking mindset. Again, because we're talking about for thought leadership and thought leadership is just forward thinking. And then think, what would make a noticeable difference in the day of life of your employees at all levels and for all different departments? And then thinking back now that you're opening up this mind space, what have you thought that's impossible, that was impossible, but it actually could be possible? I mean, is how much is, is really impossible that we think of? If you have the proper resources and the proper perspective and you gain the proper skills, what could be possible? And then what are three specific things that you could do to become a change agent? I think to that, and I think first off, do you want to become a change agent? Or do you want to be the the, the on the back end and have someone else be the change agent? Being a change agent is not gonna, it's not easy because you have to say, again, here's here's the, the political capital I have, whether it's a lot or not much at all. You're going to have to risk some of that to, to become a change agent. Now, we're going to go over to number three. Visualize this. Tom, what color is this? A vanilla? Um, I like to think of it as beige. Ooh, a beige uh, number three box located in the lower right-hand corner. Here's a quote from the authors of the article for today. Thought leadership is typically addressed at the individual level 
Yes, it is. Without considering the broader organizational context. And here's where we get into really how it aligns with what our topic is today with the organizational culture model. How can you identify who, sorry, who can you identify to become change agents? And this is previously what we discussed. Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? And how can you work with both groups to build a mutual commitment based on their self-interests? And if that's foreign, just rewind I don't know, maybe 25 minutes if you missed it. What is beyond reach and how far can you really stretch? This goes back to what's real, what was impossible and is it really impossible? And then, of course, beating that dead horse, how much of your political capital are you willing to spend? Questions that we ask ourselves and that we ask others open up our minds. We often think on a surface level for everyday problems, recurring problems that we have. We often think on the surface level, and it's important as change agents, as strategic advisors, that we help ourselves and that we help others get deeper and deeper and deeper and think below that, that level. I often use the analogy of when, when drilling for water, it's better to drill a 100-foot hole rather than 100 single one-foot single holes. Because you have to go deep in order to get that water. And the same thing is how can we use questions to, to get and gain deeper perspective and also to, to gain deeper perspective on behalf of others? Tom? Um, great. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So when Dr. Jeremy was talking about the forward-thinking mindset, that made me think of two things. One, think about how often throughout our lives, every one of us, since we're little children. We're told that something is impossible or something can't be done. So this is really kind of drilled into our brains from childhood. You can't do that. That can't be done. That won't work. So forward thinking takes a special, um, special effort, I think, for most people, because even if that was your way of looking at things to begin with, there's a good chance somewhere along the line, somebody convinced you otherwise, or at least tried very hard to convince you otherwise. And that brought me back to something that you said, Tom, in one of our previous episodes. If somebody says we can't do that, you said something to the effect of, yes, but if we could, how would we do that? And I love that because that really, it doesn't dismiss the other person who says we can't do it, but if we could, how could we do that? And I think that right there is the seed you need for forward thinking. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And, and I love it when people give me a no. It gives me a good challenge to get them back to a yes. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I, I love what, what Dr. Martha said there. And one of the things that limits the any company or, or individual is, you know, their own limiting beliefs, right? And I learned this with children. And one of my favorite examples is a, is a football movie. You know, I, when I taught school, I created situations that most teachers would never allow to happen in their classrooms. I put seventh graders on a self-study program for a month. They had to create their own schedule. They had experiments to do. They had prerequisites. They did. I could walk away and watch it run. 
right? And they met the expectations because they were given the school, the skills, the tools, and the expectations were appropriately set for them to reach that goal. Um, my favorite example is, I can't remember what football movie it is, but the coach had this young man, I think he, he would, might've been a little bit of a, uh, a challenging player um, anyway, but had a lot of potential, right? And he had the individual blindfold himself, get on his knees, and he was to carry someone, crawl on the football field 40 yards with this person on his back. And he really didn't think he could do it. And nobody else did either. So, but he started and they just kept encouraging and encouraging and, and saying, you can do it. And he made it the whole football field length. And so I often think of that when, you know, people say, well, this can't be done, or this is a challenge. You can do this if you want to do this. Yeah, you certainly can. And, you know, one other ingredient that you, you didn't mention, but was in there is trust. You know, you sometimes have to trust the people are going to actually get the work done um, or they're going to give it their best effort. Uh, Jeremy, this is great because I'm looking at our next week's uh, show. We're going to look at organizational learning and unlearning. Um, it sounds like we're going to you know, sort of continue this conversation, but we could be talking about changing paradigms. Ooh, we're always talking about changing paradigms. It's the perfect way to put it, Tom. Yeah, we've got our January, sorry, February lineup is up and available on the CBOC events. And there's a, we got to have a calendar page because we, we do a lot of events, a lot of community building here. So our monthly theme for February is workplace learning. And we have some great events coming up, like you mentioned, organizational learning and unlearning, uh, facilitating learning of members and creating a culture of learning. And of course, uh, that continues with some other topics. February 22nd, Linda Ann, yes, <laughs> you can do it by the date. February 22nd, Linda Ann and Deborah Colazzo uh, are doing their new approach to Leadership Summit. It's a hands-on work-style summit that will give participants a space and time to dig deep into their desires to lead. They'll turn ideas into action by developing their own leadership. And Tom, you can guess whether or not I was reading that or <laughs> memorize that. I think we know. There's uh, Linda Ann, you want to tell us a little more about that? Because you, it's a workshop. There's uh, the, the recording will be, be available. There's a Slack channel. There's assessments. Yeah, I'm really excited. They're, they'll be given um, an emotional intelligence assessment. Deborah Colazzo will do that and give them some feedback there. They'll be asked to do a little bit of pre-work to, to kind of lubricate their mind into their leadership um, information and and desires. And then we will take them through really a coaching process to help them develop uh, what they see as their vision as a leader, what their values are to function as a leader, and to come up with that plan for developing those leadership skills. Because again, we cannot dub you a leader after three hours. It is a process, and I'm, I'm likening it to the practice of medicine. Leadership is a practice. It's not an event we do for you. So we're really excited to help people along this way and developing their their passion for leadership. And do you have to be a CBOC member to take part in this or can is this open to everybody? It's open to everybody. CBOC members do get a bit of a discount. And there is also an early bird discount that um, expires on February 7th. So check it out. And Jeremy, if you were a university, I'm not sure how much you can share, but if you're a university student uh, studying in IO, there are some exciting things coming. 
Yeah, we're partnering with the universities to augment the and do some of the heavy lifting for their industrial organizational psychology or applied psychology program. So if you're a student, feel free to let your the director of your IO program, your professors know. And likewise, if you are a director or professor, check out CBOC for, Uni CBOC for universities on our site. We have some very exciting, exciting benefits uh, just completely meant to give students that experience practical knowledge day in the life of mentorship tons and tons of insight uh encouragement engagement opportunities it's really full-blown tom yeah seabuck really is becoming sort of that bridge between university and the real world you know <laughs> how do you get your start in something that you've spent a long time studying um, and with that jeremy we are out of time uh, so thanks again everyone for being here we love doing this every week and join us again next week for a great hour of conversation uh, so thanks jeremy and thanks everyone and if you want to count us out we're out of here beautiful as always tom thank you everyone counting out in five four three two and Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.